Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the Almond Cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there any time, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined as always by my beautiful, lovely and intelligent co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist and lit senior teacher extraordinaire. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. I'm so glad to be here, joined by my favorite friend in the world, <laughs> Ar I know, so. it's fun because we get to catch up and answer questions and all that good stuff. So this is from Selma Whalem. She says, what to do after a gym workout instead of passive stretching? I'm practicing lit every day already. Mm. Hmm. Well, my goodness, if you're practicing every day already and you're doing a gym workout, I don't really feel like you need to do anything afterwards. Maybe you've been kind of programmed or conditioned to believe you need to do something afterwards. But, you know, really, if you might want to mobilize or do, you could, it's not that passive stretching is wrong at by any means, especially if you're doing lit, lit you're getting all the dynamic stretching and mobility. So I would say, what does it feel like? Like, listen to your body and tune in. What does it feel like? So say you were like powerlifting, you know, chest presses or something. Do you feel like you need to go to the door afterwards and do a stretch where you're now stretching out that tissue that was very contracted and loaded? That's fine to do. Um, similarly, if you're doing like squats with heavy weight, do you feel like you need to then kind of open up the back? You could just simply do a down dog or, um, you know, a happy squat and, and, and just kind of hang there and open up that way. It's 
it's really, again, and and you're already doing lit every day, and I'm hoping this is the experience you're having, but what we're really trying to give you is knowledge and tools and great movement, but also help you better tune in to what your body's needs are. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I don't go to the gym like I used to in my way past, um, but I do run and I will admit, I, I feel better when I do lit before I run. I feel better when I do lit after I run, but I don't feel like I need to do anything at all because I am doing lit every single day. But I will admit, I mean, there because after I've been running um, on certain days, I will have a client right maybe about ah, 30 minutes after I run. And every time I get into a down dog, I'm like, oh, because it just feels so good because those calves have been tight. The hamstrings have been tight. The low back's been tight from running. It's just the, the running posture. I mean, running in general, it's it's contractile. It it shortens you up. So it just feels good. Do I feel like I need it? Not necessarily. Now, that being said, you know, I will tell people if stretching is something that you feel like you need to do or want to do, the time to do it is after you work out when you have those nice warm muscles, as opposed to doing it beforehand. That's very old school. People would do a big, big stretch beforehand. Um I have just found in many ways that, you know, the lit, whether it's the, and sometimes it's just a reset, sun salutation, a very, very simple flow just feels great uh, after I work out. So do I, would I, do I recommend that you absolutely have to do it? No, especially not her. Like you said, she's doing it every day, but it's not hurting her. um, I mean, if it feels good, do it, but she's really setting herself up for, being in a good place, knowing that even if you don't get it that day at the gym, you got to run. There are times when I'm just like, I get my run in and poof, I'm out the door. I know the next morning when I get up, I'm going to feel better because I'm going to do my lit practice. And a lot of times if I didn't get the lit in afterwards, I can feel it. I am still tight from a run. And so lit's going to take care of your needs, mm-hmm. no matter what I believe in the, in the long run. I agree. I agree. And I I remember long ago um, when I had classes on Yoga Girls 108, one of my most popular classes was called the Quinoa Flow. And I called it the Quinoa Flow because I'm like, hey, when you're making quinoa, you just put it on the stove 15 minutes. It's like to the dot practically. And while you're waiting for that, this is like after a run or after a gym workout. And then I just did this dynamic kind of mobility stretchy thing where we're moving, because um, I'm not against stretching. Passive stretching to me summons this idea that you're just kind of hanging on a joint, like you're just hanging forward, like forward folds, for example, and you just hang forward. And that is not going to produce great results. Mo- mobil- mobilizing or holding a dynamic stretch, meaning you're engaged. So passive to me literally means gravity is pushing you down and you're just going with it versus dynamic could be there should be some shimming or movement with it, or you're holding it, but you, like your down dog is a great stretch, a great example. You're engaged and you're pulling that tissue and that is going to have much better long-term effects and feelings, quite frankly. So you got that right. All right. So let's see. Our next question here is, was sent in through our support at Lit Yoga. It's from Alicia. And so this is kind of a long one. I have a question about a student. She's almost 70, but super fit. 
She weight trains regularly with a personal trainer, has been practicing yoga for 20 years. She has arthritic knees, has had two children, and is diabetic. But over, uh, overall, she's very mobile, eats, grows a lot of veggies, and enjoys exercise. She's been coming to my classes for over two years, mostly recently in person versus Zoom. Yay. I found out that she's been having uh, foot cramps, hamstring spasms, and diaphragm cramps for a few years now, usually when she's active. In my class yesterday, she experienced hamstring spasms during bridge and in reverse table. She took some breaks and they went away, but I felt sad to see her in pain during class. She says her toes will curl towards the plantar side of her foot sometimes, the anterior aspect of her diaphragm cramps, she pointed to the left side, sometimes when she does forward bends. Her hamstring cramps when she does bridge, hip thrust, in reverse table. I did notice that she does tend to have an anterior pelvic tilt when in bridge and in reverse table. She's been to massage therapists, chiropractors, PTs, and nutritionists, who by the way, recommended a potassium and magnesium for, none of which has really helped. She thinks it's just part of getting older. I recommended that she see a pelvic floor physio. I know that the arches of the feet, pelvic floor, and diaphragm are related. Uh, and let's see, um, and the hamstrings originate from the uh, IT bones. So I think the pelvic floor might be the connection between them all. When I mentioned the pelvic floor PT, she said that's the only part of her that's working well and that she's been doing Kegels for years, which makes me think her pelvic floor may be hypertonic. Any thoughts on this? Any other physical connections, recommendations for moves in my classes that may help or other health practitioners that could be recommended to her would be awesome. Thank you so much for everything you both do. It's a lot of well, info. That is a lot of info, and I love it all. And I think that you, you could just take out her age and apply many people, okay, yeah. first of all. So I think this is the biggest um, kind of – when we have a number, it can be something that influences us. And the only reason 70 even is making a difference to me is that that means that she's had more time to have suboptimal movement patterns, Right. That's the only thing that's different. But I we, I hear all of those symptoms similar um, in some way with somebody that could be 20. So these are just uh, – you, you've already nailed so many of it. This is definitely something that's coming from her pelvis not being in neutral. Um, um, and I, I agree. It probably could be a pelvic floor thing. She might be hypertonic, which means, by the way, not that she's strong. Um, and Kegels is not really – working the pelvic floor muscles, as we know, right? It's like really a, just a small portion of the pelvic wall muscles and pelvic floor muscles. So I would, first of all, if she has those cramps, it's, they, they hurt. There's, but they're not damaging, right? All they're really doing is giving her a shit ton of information that she's not using her glutes. <laughs> it's like an, and so that is going to take a while to unwind, meaning unwind that movement pattern that as she extends the hip, her, her hamstrings are the first things to kick in. So having her stay in a really low bridge, having her in bridge put her hands on her um, the sides of her thighs and push into them without – so that engages the lateral um, seam, right, kind of at the IT band into the gluteus medius, but the IT band and the glute max share fascial connections. It is – almost impossible to do that action and not get your glutes recruited. So I do this right away. I just, again, had a, I've had privates with runners who literally their glutes are just not even showing up. And 
they where do they get it? They get it down the chain in the calf and in the plantar fasciitis and et cetera. But it's the same principle. Their glutes aren't firing as they should. And so almost everybody has a response to that. So put the hands on the other thighs, have them press, press her thighs into the hands. Similar to like having a band there, but it's actually even more in information because you've got your hands there. And have her stay in a low bridge until she really feels that, aha, okay, glutes are firing. She's going to still feel the um, hamstrings. They're part of the posterior chain. It's just that they're they're the team players that are showing up too much, and then they're getting really irritated. <laughs> and that's the form of that hamstring cramp. And I'm glad she's seeing a nutritionist. That was the other thing I would say is you always want to check in if there's any kind of magnesium deficits, pot potassium deficits. But magnesium is a big player in, in avoiding cramps from that kind of biochemical standpoint. Uh, I love that you're already feeling about like arch to pelvic floor to um, diaphragm. They are all um, connected. And, and there's if there's, again, it would make sense if she's been in the habit of tilting her pelvis, the rib cage is also moved forward. And so getting it back might get a little sensation of, of crampiness because her diaphragm is, is getting more engaged. Um, that could be one reason. It could also just be it's a position she's not used to in the diaphragm is having some kind of spasm. What would you have to say about that, KB? No, I, I love um, everything that you just said. And also the fact that she's really on top of it. You know, she's already thinking along the terms like a PT, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting that she's describing this woman and, you know, this woman sounds like probably like how I'm going to be at her age, you know, just working out all the time. Like I just, it's part of my life. And, um, you know, does that, could that mean that I am hypertonic in some ways? You know, we see this with personalities, people who, you know, might be a little bit more driven or that type A, they tend to be just tighter. They're, they're, you know, it does not clincher, a, a little bit clinchers, <laughs> a little bit more of a clincher. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say from personal experience, I am almost never a cramper, but I will cramp if I am dehydrated. So I would really, that'd be my one more thing to push with her is to make sure that she is hydrating well. I see, I will cramp if I sometimes after a run that I haven't hydrated well and it's hot outside and then I go and do yoga, that's when I'll cramp. When normally I never cramp in my feet. I never cramp in my hamstrings. Um, so it's two things. Am I poorly hydrated? And am I just fatigued too? You know, mm -hmm. so what has she been doing all day? Are my glutes, um, you know, not working well, like you said, which I'm sure I'm classic with that, with my running and, and, my, and my hamstrings are just pooped because I just ran. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of different reasons to cramp. I would say it does happen more often as you age. And to your point, Laura, I love that you said this. It's just that many more years to have you know, non-optimal posture, non-optimal movement patterns. And so, you know, but the truth is our, our tissues are losing as we age, they lose that hydration. So make sure that you're hydrating. It might be like you, you know, said with the magnesium or potassium, you know, using those hydration tabs more often just because of that's just, that's just life. Um, so that would be my, my only thing to add. I think that's great. I really, I, I yes, and I, there's uh, a lot on how, again, I don't want to say older people, but as we age, are we're just not tending to drink as much, and mm -hmm. there there could be a lot of reasons for that, but we have to keep that hydration up. I think that's super important. 
Okay, so I have another question here. This is from um, Alexia Kyle, who is also a lit teacher and physical therapist. How do you feel about rib cage positioning, breathing, et cetera? And I have a feeling she's asking this because she is starting to, she has a ton of background herself. She's a pelvic floor specialist and has had a lot of aha moments in our lit teacher training that we go into much more of the integrated approach with the pelvis, inside the pelvis with breathing and everything, as opposed to a lot of times it's necessary, but pelvic floor specialists really focus a lot on the um, managing uh, pressure, which is important, but it's just one part of the whole thing. So when they're managing pressure, they'll talk a lot about like when you inhale, let your belly be kind of soft or, or let it allow to be pushed out um, because that's better pressure management. And there's always a place for when that would happen and for what, for, you know, going back to the last person, or like how we were talking about, if you're somebody who's a clincher, you're going to need to learn how to soften for sure. But then you have to think like, well, then when do I use the core and the breathing? So I think, Alexia, if I'm going to, because I know you, I think when you say just simply, how do you feel about ribcage positioning breathing? I think you're really asking in terms of the whole process. And I'm going to let KB go first after giving you that background, and then I'll I'll come in. Yeah, I mean, as a fellow physical therapist, uh, it, it's shocking to me how little PTs are educated about this. I mean, I've gone years never looking at somebody's ribs, never even thinking about it. You know, we get tunnel vision, uh, never thinking about someone's breathing. And since integrating lit yoga and then going, you know, really diving deep like we do in our level two and uh, diving deep as I write my PT corners, you really, I think it's hugely important. And it, and I, and I don't focus entirely on flair versus not, but more of it's just like you said, it's part of a whole. So as you look around at people, as they come to see you as a private client, as you look at your loved ones, you know, where is the rib cage in space and how are we breathing? So few people breathe into the lower ribs. It's, it's, and I don't know that I ever thought about it. And man, I just taught a class this morning that was called find the calm in the chaos. And really we can calm ourselves down by breathing into the lower ribs and by adjusting where our breath goes and where our rib cage is. Because so much of our tension comes when we, yeah, going with the last question too. When we breathe with the upper, you know, when we really just look, when we look at things piecemeal and just look at the diaphragm, we, the ribs are really, I think, you talk about them as curtains. They're almost like the curtains to what's going, like looking into what's really happening at the core. The ribs can tell you so very much. And I love you have a, a class, give yourself a hug. I think it was one of our, you know, um, recent classes for our uh, teachers class of the month, right? Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And this idea of really feeling, do you know how to breathe into them? Many people don't, myself included, probably 10 years ago. And teaching people how to do that for that private, I was teaching her and she just was, this is an RN. You know, we we don't often give the rib, the ribs any credibility. 
And it is so important, not only for posture, pelvic floor, what you name it, prenatal, postnatal, it's, it's important for cardiopulmonary function. You know, the, the ribs are, they're, they're our protector, they, but they're also what they need to be expanding to take deep breaths. So I am a huge, huge proponent of rib health, posture, and movement as for, for a multitude of issues. Like I said, you know, calming the breath, um, posture, taking, uh, being able to expel stuff from the lungs as we age. You know, we really, as physical therapists, as lit yoga instructors, as movement specialists, we have such a service to give by paying attention to ribs, rib position and rib movement. That's my soapbox speech on that. What about you, Laura? I, yeah, you I, to couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more yeah. because, you know, if you think about it, we have 12 ribs, we have 12 thoracic vertebrae. That's the biggest portion of our spine. And our spine is this long, wonderful axis that is, I always call it like our north-south compass, but it is the center pole from which everything is moving around. And the biggest part of that is our thoracic spine and the ribs. And the thoracopelvic cylinder is just that, is a cylinder. So when you're asking Alexia about the rib cage positioning, first and foremost, where is the pelvis? Because the pelvis absolutely influences the ribs. It's a cylinder. If the tip of the pelvis, then the cylinder goes forward, the rib cage goes forward, and, what, and you get shortened in back. We see that all the time. People who have chronic, chronic tightness um, along the axial extenders, um, like the erector spinae, tightness around the QL, all of that getting compressed and pull, and and trying to kind of hold your rib cage back in space. So first of all, rib cage position, it needs to be balanced over the pelvis. Second, like you said, I think what's important as uh, anyone that's teaching breathing and that's teaching nervous system regulation and that's teaching core integration with movement Recognizing those are three pillars that don't always, you, you focus, there is a lot of overlap, but we have to speak of them separately because people get confused if you just focus on one thing. So what I, so nervous system regulation, let's start with that. Like you said, taking deeper breaths, taking a nice relaxed breath, the belly breath, as people will call it then, fine, let the belly be soft. I'm lying on my bed. I want to relax. I want to go to bed. I don't want to have all my, my I don't want to have anxiety and stress going around. I want to relax. And that's also managing um, any kind of pressurized system. But usually that pressurized system is when the cylinder is not balanced and open and spacious. Then one area is pushing into, you know, whether it's down into the pelvic floor and that to me is almost always because the pelvis is not in neutral. Then when we talk about breathing, your lungs are in your ribs. <laughs> your lungs are in your ribs, okay? Your lungs are not in your belly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is like, that's where they, so we want the breath going into our ribs, out into the lateral ribs, into the back ribs. Can you get your breath into your back ribs? Uh, you know, I talk about serratus anterior, one of my favorites, but guess what? There's a posterior serratus. Uh, it's called serratus posterior. And it's it, it, the inferior and superior part of that. Those are, those are muscles of breathing. Mm -hmm. 
Can you breathe into your back? Can you put your hand in your back ribs and allow that? A lot of people can't even get their breath back there, much less into the sides. So why would we be focusing on pushing the breath into the belly when the lungs are in the ribs and I want a big, full, robust breath? I better put them into the lateral ribs and into the back ribs. That's going to get my lungs open, expanded, and that's going to help with uh, breath efficiency. And then I can take that into what I need. Do I need to calm my breathing down? Do I need to get it up? So it's then the core muscles along with the breathing muscles, which there are, they do both together to help manage, stabilize the ribs with movement. Then I can help move the ribs from my core muscles, like with the obliques. Uh, so we have to talk about these in separate parts. And the problem is you get on something like Instagram and you see someone saying, stop sucking your belly in, let your belly relax. Okay, I agree with that. By the way, nobody should be sucking their belly in like they're trying to get a photograph and get the smallest waist. <laughs> see how effective that is. We don't do that. When we talk about tone in our abdominals, we're talking about the, the overall tone that stabilizes the pelvis, the spine, and the ribs so that you can move well with the effects of gravity coming on you. You can load, you can lift something, you've got force, and you're not gonna have kind of spillage of energy and pressure or stress in onto joints, ligaments, et cetera. So um, I hope that's, I hope I gave the answer that makes that clear, dear Alexia. But yes, rib cage positioning, get your ribs over your pelvis. Feel the space between your ribs. That's called your intercostal space. The front ribs, many people, when they when we talk about flaring, that comes naturally when you tip your pelvis. So if you just think of keeping the sternum kind of in line with the pubic bone and then allowing the breath to move out, your ribs, the front drapes of the ribs will pull a little bit apart, but they're not gonna, they're not gonna lift up. And so it's all those parts together. We don't even talk about one muscle doing it. It's a collaborative effort that the muscles are working well. So coordinated breathing is what we're going for. Coordinated breathing with core support. With so it's like, what are the needs at that time? If, I, if I'm lying on my back, I don't need to be doing that. I've got support. Gravity's coming down on me, but I've got my my, my back is on the bed or the couch, I can relax and then I can focus on the nervous system calming part. When you breathe better the other way in your exercise and your movement, you are also fine tuning your nervous system because it's really hard to stay in a high anxious state when you have collaborative core work going on. This is why that uh, there's a article, look it up. I referenced it in our teacher training, why a neuroscientist started blasting his core, because what he found is that, that when you work your core, your stress level goes down. So there's a lot of ways to regulate your nervous system. Breathing, soft, relaxed breathing when you're chilling out is one way. Mm -hmm. But you don't say, oh, because that's one way, just obliterate the use of your abdominals to support your, to support your breathing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. Do it yoga, do the breathing. You That's got right. it. All right. Well, we love your questions and, you know, keep asking. And by the way, we're giving opinions. That's what they are. They're based on a lot of years of experience. They're based on some research. They're based on our own personal research, but you um, should also do your own research and do what best works for you. 
Absolutely. Well, you can always reach out to us uh, via email at support at lityoga.com or you can find us on Instagram at laura.hyman or kbwilliams99. You can just direct message us right there. We save those messages and put them in our little folder for these Wednesday Q&As. We appreciate you all so much. Please uh, subscribe to this wonderful podcast. We have, you know, three of these podcasts, do two of these podcasts a week, sometimes three with the monthly motivation. And we would love it if you rate and review as well and share with any of your friends. Please do. Until then, as always, we are pulling for you. Woo! <laughs>